Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Streaming Science Podcast. Streaming Science is a student-driven program that works to connect you with scientists to learn how science impacts all of us and our everyday lives. I'm Alice Akers, a master's student with Agricultural Education and Communication at the University of Florida and your hostess for this episode. You are currently listening to our series titled AI in Action, where we explore scientists' current research and how AI is changing the nature of science. AI development is said to be the fourth industrial revolution. The research explored in this series spans disciplines from data science to health to cybersecurity to agriculture and more. AI is used with crops, cattle, pesticides, citrus, pigs and beyond to increase efficiency and data accessibility. The following episode was made in partnership with the University of Florida Department of Agricultural Education and Communication, UF-IFAS Dean of Research Office, and UF's AI Strategic Initiative. In the following interview, I spoke with Dr. Samantha Wisely, a professor in wildlife ecology and conservation at the University of Florida. In this episode, we discuss Dr. Wisely's work with feral pigs and how this invasive species impacts the state of Florida. We will also look at the role that artificial intelligence plays in this realm of research. Through this podcast, I hope you gain insight into Dr. Samantha Wisely's research, the role of AI in research and industry, and an overall sense of how scientists are moving forward to create new and unique solutions to address current global issues. Dr. Wisely, it's great to have you here. To get to know you a little bit more, could you tell us about your background and research interests? I first started research in conservation genetics about 20 years ago and eventually decided that I wanted to get into more wildlife disease research, sometimes within the realm of conservation, but sometimes within the realm of of invasive species, which is where my research lies now. And we use multiple different tools in our toolbox from genetic aspects to working in the field to using artificial intelligence to learn more about invasive species. Your work sounds very interesting. You mentioned that you were working with invasive species. To give our listeners some background on today's topic, could you explain what an invasive species is? An invasive species is any species that did not evolve in the place where you find it. And we can really think of invasive species as being two broad categories. One is a native invader. So an invasive species that is somewhere else in the vicinity, but does not, it it was not originally found here. So in Florida, we have two examples. The first one would be armadillos. So armadillos only recently invaded here, maybe a hundred years ago, but they were found in the Americas. And then the second one are coyotes. So coyotes are an invasive species, but again, they've been found in other and persisted in other parts of the United States. But then the second type of invasive species are what we call exotic invasive species. And those are ones that are not found anywhere in, say, the United States, if we're thinking of an exotic invasive species in the U.S. So classic example in Florida would be pythons. They come from Southeast Asia. They were imported as pets. People released them and now they wreak havoc on land. But there are other exotic invasive species, too. There are invasive beetles that uh, kill trees. There are invasive trees that encroach onto land and change the water system. So there's lots of different types of examples of invasive species. 
especially here in Florida. I recently moved to Florida, so I've been learning about the state, and I was surprised to hear how many invasive species of animals and even plants there are here, especially given the number is somewhere over 500. Yeah, absolutely. So we're considered the state in the United States with the second most uh, invasive species. We are considered a gateway of invasive species into the rest of the continental U.S. Wow, that's really tough to tackle. Out of all the invasive species that Florida has, I have noticed that there is the most controversy surrounding feral pigs. Can you give some insight into this controversy? Sure. So, Wild pigs have been in Florida for over 500 years. They are the second most popular game species, second only to white-tailed deer. And there's a long tradition and history of people hunting wild pigs in Florida. But they do a lot of damage. And they do a lot of damage to agriculture, to people's personal property. And because of that, there has been a strong need to control those populations outside of the realm of hunting. Yeah, coming from a hunting family, I understand the passion and tradition surrounding hunting pigs, especially given they've been here for over 500 years. However, given these pigs cause so much damage, why is there such a divide between the conservation and the hunting side? Well, I think it really comes down to the different mandates between different agencies in Florida. So, for instance, Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission, they're charged with creating hunting opportunities for people. But yet other land management agencies who have witnessed a lot of damage to lands or agencies like USDA who regulate animals that cause disease they're mandated to control animals. And so it's really a tension of what is the reason behind you getting rid of pigs on the landscape? Is it for recreation or is it because there is a viable economic need to get them off the landscape? Yeah, that sounds tricky to navigate given the different motivations for each side. I'm aware that feral pigs are an invasive species, so obviously they aren't from here, but how do they end up in America? Right. So as I mentioned, they've been here for about 500 years. De Soto, the Spanish conqueror who came in in the uh, the 1500s, he brought pigs with him to feed his troops and he released about 300 of them in the Port Charlotte area. Within uh, 100 years or so, those turned into thousands of pigs on the landscape. And they now occur in every county of Florida. And we estimate that there's about a million wild pigs on the landscape. A million. That's definitely a lot of pigs roaming around Florida. Plenty for everybody. (laughs) Yes, plenty for everybody. (laughs) For people like me who have never seen a wild pig, can you describe some of their characteristics? Yeah, they typically, they're very social, so they tend to move in groups headed up by females. So mom will give birth to a bunch of piglets, and then those piglets will hang around for maybe up to a year or more. And we call those social groups sounders. And they can be quite large, anywhere from five individuals to 25 individuals. And sometimes you can have two or three adult females with all of those piglets around. The boars, the males, tend to operate separately and individually and and are more isolated from one another. They can grow quite large. So a typical male might be four or 500 pounds. A typical female might be 200 pounds or so. And then there's every size in between. They're definitely a good size. Are they similar to commercial pigs in terms of how many piglets they have? Yeah, so I mean, they can have up to 12 piglets in a, in a litter. And in 
about 18 months, they can produce three litters and they can start producing litters when they're about six months old. So you can see why there has been such an increase in their population size. And we reckon that they are growing exponentially in Florida right now, which is one of the reasons people feel like they need to get some uh, control on the population size. I can see why they replicate so fast, especially when they are starting at just six months old. Now, this is a prevalent problem in Florida, but I presume wild pigs are present in other states, or is it just Florida? Uh, No, they are all over the South. In fact, they're all over the United States. Some do not have the the population size that we do here in Florida, but yes, absolutely. They're in Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, South Carolina. Just prime breeding conditions in Florida. Absolutely. They can reproduce all year round. I don't blame them. I love the weather down here myself. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Now, given the size of their population, what impacts do feral pigs have on the state of Florida? Right. So as I mentioned, they can really uh, wreak a lot of damage onto the environment. And so in a couple of different ways, first of all, they they have this behavior where they root and they actually take that very strong, thick snout of theirs and they can turn over soil. And that it's amazing when you see them turn over soil, it can do it can turn over soil up to three feet deep particularly in our sandy soils here in Florida. And so that action in and of itself can do a lot of damage. It damages wetlands. It damages um, the growth of people's pastures. Um, I've seen it do amazing damage to people's irrigation systems in their backyards or to golf turf. So, So that's sort of the mechanical damage aspect of it. We've done some diet studies to show that they actually eat a lot of native wildlife, native fish species, native salamanders. We actually have a lot of endangered salamanders up in the panhandle that they do a lot of damage to. And then finally, they carry diseases. Um, One of the main diseases that they carry is called pseudorabies virus. That virus is actually a herpes virus, and it is absolutely deadly to the Florida panther. In fact, it is the third leading cause of death in Florida panthers. So they have a big impact on Florida panthers. They are an endangered species here, right? Absolutely. They are an endangered species and Florida is the only place that they're found. We're lucky to still have panthers here. So these feral pigs carry diseases that can kill panthers. But do they carry any other diseases that may impact other animals? Absolutely. So we worry a lot about um, wild pigs transmitting diseases to livestock. So either to other commercial pig operations or to cattle industry. So they carry Brucella suis, which is a type of bacteria that if cattle get it, it causes abortion. Um, It also, if a animal, if a cow pops positive for brucella, they can no longer be transported across state lines. So it has a big impact on the livestock industry. There are also pig-specific diseases that feral swine get that if they got into the commercial pig industry would absolutely shut down that industry. The capabilities to shut down an entire industry is definitely a scary thought. To infect these animals, would they have to come into direct contact? Or is it something where animals can pick up disease from land after feral pigs have passed through, or maybe even from feces? You know, that's a really good question. And I think the answer is it depends. It depends on the the actual uh, pathogen that we're talking about. So 
good biosecurity, which is what people in the livestock industry talks about, means that you don't let wildlife come into contact with your livestock. For cattle, that's nearly impossible, right? Because they're free-ranging or quasi-free-ranging on the landscape. For pigs, they're mostly contained inside um, breeding um, structures. So we hope that there is good biosecurity. But in Florida, and particularly in North Florida, we have a lot of private people who keep one or two sows, and their biosecurity is typically not very good. So I definitely think there are pathways into our commercial pig stock from feral swine. And there's a lot of people concerned right now because there is what we call a foreign animal disease called African swine fever that has a global epidemic occurring right now. And it was just found for the first time in the Americas last year. It was found in the Dominican Republic. So there has been a lot of enhanced surveillance of our wild pig populations here in Florida because people are very concerned about African swine fever getting into the United States. It would shut down the pork industry in the United States. It's a little concerning to hear that the disease is making its way over here. How is this disease being transmitted? Well, it is a very sneaky um, virus. So it actually survives in pork products, so it could come in in sausage. It can be transmitted directly from pig to pig, and it can be transmitted by ticks. Mm. So there's lots of different ways it can be transmitted, and that's why it has so efficiently been moved around the world. Wow, I feel like ticks are at the root of a lot of problems, aren't they? <laughs> ticks are the root of all evil. <laughs> yeah, ticks carry a lot of issues with them. So you mentioned that it can survive within pork products. Is it a virus that could affect humans, or is it only pigs who are affected? It is not a human disease, no. Okay. Well, that's comforting to know. Now, switching gears a little, this podcast is part of a series which is examining how artificial intelligence is used across research at the University of Florida. I know you've started working with AI in your research. How would you define artificial intelligence in your own words? Artificial intelligence is using computers to help you figure out different scenarios around uh, for us in science. And so specifically how we use it is an application called machine learning. And in that application, you present the computer with a bunch of scenarios to train it. Once it's trained, you hand it data and say, okay, now you do the same thing with this data without my input. And then you see if it does it well or if it doesn't do it well. And specifically in wildlife research, we use it a lot to help us analyze remotely collected camera pictures. So if we put out a bunch of cameras on the landscape, and these are the same sort of cameras that people use uh, for home applications if you want to know who's running through your backyard. Sometimes we do wildlife surveys with those. So they're remotely triggered. They take a picture or a video. But then you've got a lot of pictures to sift through. Anybody who's had a backyard camera knows how many pictures you get with absolutely zero wildlife, but maybe a tree limb moving around a bunch. So this application, you can actually train the um, computer to pick out those pictures that have whatever it is that you want to see in the picture. We've been using it in an application where it picks out and then identifies all of the different North American wildlife. So if we put out a, a series of cameras, 
It can tell a pig from a cow, from a skunk, from a raptor, let's say. And that saves a lot of person power by being able to use that computer to do what it might take 12 undergraduates to do. Yes, as an an undergraduate one time and now a graduate student, I know exactly that type of work. But that's fascinating that now we have those, you know, it does take a lot of people to really sit there and, and pick out pictures and go through hundreds and thousands, especially off multiple cameras. Is the training process of teaching the camera to know the difference between, you know, a panther and a pig, is that quite extensive? How long does that take to kind of get it to the point where you can use them for this work? Yeah, it is quite extensive because you do want it to be accurate and you want to be able to trust the data. So the training process can take a lot of time. The more you use the program, the less you have to train it for the next application. So the more we use it and the more we train it and the more different types of pictures that it sees, the better it can get at picking out a particular picture. Exposure seems important then. Right, exactly. How are you using artificial intelligence within your research with feral pigs? I have been collaborating with folks at Archbold Biological Station Um, They have a working research ranch that is Buck Island Ranch, and they have this amazing array of cameras that they have set up. We had a graduate student who was using the pictures collected from that camera array, using artificial intelligence and machine learning to parse out those cameras, get rid of the pictures that we don't want. And then he further used those data to actually look at breeding patterns of females. So in a particular picture, you might see one large female, but then you see a bunch of piglets. And so we were training that computer to help us count the number of piglets. And what that does is that gives us an idea of the reproductive output of each female, which is a really important parameter, especially when you can reproduce three times a year. You want to know what the reproductive output is on these different habitats or when you enact different management types, which is what we did uh, on that study. That sounds very interesting to be able to study the breeding patterns of wild pigs by using cameras and this technology. Are you currently using AI in any other projects? Right now, what we're doing is uh, University of Florida just had some property donated to it, the DeLuca Preserve. And that preserve really hasn't had very many formal biodiversity surveys And so uh, UF has asked a bunch of wildlife professors to actually go out and conduct surveys. And as part of that, we are, again, using these cameras and artificial intelligence to document the, the number of different species that there are on that preserve. Yes, I'm sure it'd be very interesting to see what species are actually found in the DeLuca Preserve. What are some of the possible future applications of AI in this realm? So one of the things I'm really excited about is the potential to use these cameras and then the computer programs behind it to actually find sick pigs among all of these pigs that we're seeing on the landscape. So the camera technology already exists. So uh, these are thermal sensor cameras. So it can pick up a pig that has a fever and differentiate it from pigs that don't have a fever. And so we would like to automate that using machine learning to identify sick pigs on the landscape. 
It really sounds like machine learning could be a game changer, especially for removing sickness or disease among sounders. Do feral pigs tend to move across the landscape a lot? So, so pigs definitely can move across the landscape, particularly if their populations are disturbed. So that was one of the goals of the study that we did down at Archbold Biological Station is to monitor these pigs, then enact a management scenario. So cull part of them and then actually see how they react, how the, the, the remaining pigs react to that. So furthering that application, it would be really interesting to know how sick pigs versus healthy pigs might move in some of those scenarios, because that's how disease spreads, right? Is when you have sick pigs contacting other pigs and then spreading that illness around. Yes, I think it is very important. And having more knowledge about their behavior and movements can only be helpful. Is the pig's dispersal an issue that is furthered by hunting of feral pigs, given usually only one or two are killed from the group? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So I I think the answer is it sort of depends on how you hunt them. We've found that in lands where they allow hunting with dogs, we do see an increased disease prevalence because I think it does actually scatter the animals further than in areas where, say, you're sniping a pig with with a gun. That's so interesting, and it just shows how important this type of research is so that we can understand what is happening and why. It sounds like the use of AI could be a big game changer in this realm. I agree. Yeah, no, that's very exciting. Is there anything you would like to add? Well, I mean, I think the future of AI and wildlife research is is really wide open, um, particularly when it comes to different types of sensors and how we sample our environment Um, And so I think there could be some really unique applications, whether it be using robots and artificial intelligence to sample water, to find DNA from different species and actually identify species that way, to sampling aerosols out of the air to identify different toxins or viruses or even particles of animals that happen to be floating in the air. So I I think the future is really almost limitless when it comes to how to marry those two things. I agree. There is definitely a lot of possible uses for artificial intelligence in this realm, which is really exciting. It has been great to be able to talk to you today and learn more about feral pigs and your research. I really appreciate you taking the time to come in and share your knowledge. Great. Thanks, Alice. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the AI in Action series on the Streaming Science Podcast. Make sure to follow and reach out to us on Facebook at Streaming Science, Twitter at Streaming underscore SCI, and Instagram at Student Streaming Science. I'm your host, Alice Akers. Thanks for listening. For more information, please see the links in the show notes.